0: Hello and welcome to My Life on the Line, a podcast by RefCoach. I'm Jack and once again I'm joined by Benji and Ale. On this podcast, we show the humans behind the whistle through the eyes of referees past and present, as well as the broader footballing world. Our guest today is Simon Lount. Simon has had an excellent and well travelled career across the world, culminating in being an assistant referee at the 2018 World Cup in Russia. What an achievement!
1: Yeah, absolutely. We spoke to Simon about his whole career from the beginning, starting refereeing in England as part of a college course to moving to New Zealand and making his way through the domestic ranks. He even refereed with you, Jack, on the A-League before being awarded his FIFA badge. And finally, he reached the pinnacle of his career, refereeing at the FIFA World Cup.
2: Simon talked to us about his journey and how his relationships and support from his loved ones and his peers enabled him to chase his dreams in the refereeing world. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get into the shop. I
3: recommend a on-field review.
0: Stop it, stop it, stop
3: it.
2: So Simon all the way from Stuttgart, but your journey didn't start from there. So we're really interested to hear all about your travels and your different experiences in different parts of the world. I heard some really interesting stories from Jack.
0: I read a story on the BBC.
2: Read a story on the BBC. (laughs) There we go. So how about we throw it right at you and tell us about how it all started, the refereeing journey, And all the moving, you've started from Leicester, correct? Correct,
3: exactly, yeah. So, hey, guys, thank you for having me this this morning for me, this evening for you. Um, it's a real pleasure to to be part of this. Um, so before we get started, I just yeah, really want to rec- uh, commend the the services you're offering to the grassroots referees. You. I think it's I think it's incredible. And I said to Ali, I said to you the other day that if a service like this was available when I was, let's say, on the first few months, um, it would be absolutely invaluable. Oh, thanks. Thank you. So yeah, as you said, I started off in Leicester and uh, my refereeing life started as a... Um, part of a, a Duke of Edinburgh award in England and this is a uh, something that many oh. school kids do you have to do various different activities it's meant to teach you responsibility and learning and things like this I guess mm-hmm. and one of the topics was um, like a community sporting activity that we had to choose and I chose refereeing yeah because I was a passionate Leicester City fan and and really into my football um, and I could play, but let's be honest, I was never actually uh, that good. Um, I think I referenced that in the BBC article as well. Million dollar question, what position did you play? Um, Well, I was centre-back and sort of a defensive midfielder. Um, back. there you go
2: we found we found a pattern with referees the role goalkeepers so we made yeah. we're making a connection the craziness of goalkeepers and the craziness of being a referee yeah, yeah. <laughs> almost that you know the sadistic pleasure exactly of, you know yeah they go hand <laughs> and, in hand and the boss yeah yeah the <laughs>
3: boss yeah but yeah i was captain on my side but my disciplinary record was shocking really really poor um <laughs> you know and uh I think when when this when I finally got to where I wanted to get to in my refereeing life, people were uh, more people found out that this is what I did uh, for a hobby. They said, "Gosh, you know, I, I would never have remembered Simon in the mid '90s playing football and his discipline on the pitch and the way he t- <laughs> spoke to referees. <laughs> how, how he would end up uh, as a referee himself." So yeah, yeah. So it started out as, as this, uh, let's say, just doing the refereeing course as part of a, a greater. Uh, qualification and um yeah kind of enjoyed it and I didn't do so much in England actually um maybe only from memory one or two games and uh then went off to university went traveling still wanted to play I still thought no I, I still enjoy the playing side and it wasn't until I went on my travels to, to New Zealand and Australia first and then to New Zealand and and met my uh, my now wife that um I decided I should give refereeing a, a crack and uh yeah, luckily had some amazing people to support me in those early days to uh, to put me on the on the right track, really. So I started in Leicester and, um, yeah, sort of really cut my teeth in, in the New Zealand football world. Jack, what was the story you read on the BBC?
0: Ah, uh, tell us. I'll let Simon can tell his own story. How did you meet your wife? Oh, yeah. Like, this is just, this is a refereeing <laughs> related. From a human perspective, humans. this is a sliding doors moment. It was a
3: sliding doors moment. And that is a very, very... Um, appropriate term for it. It really was, you know. And it almost gives me goosebumps thinking about it. It really does. Um, <laughs> so I went, yeah, I went traveling through Australia. And uh, most people go traveling because um, they want to see the world and and experience new things. And um, I got to New Zealand and sort of realized I had six months left of my travel and not really knowing what to do when I got back to England. And uh, it was the first week, and I'd gone on a tour to the North uh, North Island, right up to the top of the North Island. And I was dropping my hire car off in central Auckland and walking to the ferry to get the ferry back to Waiheke Island. And those of you who know New Zealand, Waiheke Island is a large island in, in the Hierarchy Gulf there. Anyway, I was walking back. It was pitch black, 10 at night. And um, yeah, I got lost. I didn't know, I had no clue where I was <laughs> and saw this young lady walking towards me with a dog. And uh, said, stopped her and said, "Oh, excuse me, where's the where's the ferry?" And she said, "Oh, it's this way," and then she walked off. And I thought, "Oh, she was she was very nice." <laughs> and then thought, "I wonder if wonder if I could walk this way, but accidentally walk to the left and kind of get back and in, uh, bump into her again." But then next thing I know, she's pulled up in a car next to me, and uh, she picked me up and dropped me off at the ferry terminal, and I asked for a number and. She gave it to me and that was it. The rest is history. <laughs> End of story. Then you're living in, yeah. next,
0: next thing you know, you're living in Germany <laughs> with her and kids. And, yeah, and I, I
3: say, yeah, I always say, yeah, I say, what, three or four mortgages and two kids and two dogs later. <laughs> Here we are. Yeah, yeah exactly. And um, that, that kind of what made me, yeah, that, that made me stay in New Zealand. And uh, as you said, Jack, it's a sliding door moment. Who knows if I'd have gone back to the UK and I'm, uh, and from then, we've been a firm believer of of taking opportunities when they when they come, and uh, I think that's uh, you can yeah. If you, I've moved between Auckland and Wellington a couple of times within New Zealand for, for for personal reasons and also for work reasons, and then the biggest move was bringing the family over here to to Germany um, three years ago as well. So, yeah, of course. So, yeah. you know, you, you meet the,
0: I presume, Kiwi girl and, and decide it's a great yep. place to stay. But then how does refereeing come back into your life after doing one or two games after doing the Duke of Edinburgh screen?
3: Yeah, good question. I played to start with for a couple of Auckland sides. And yeah, you, you, I think what was I then sort of mid to late 20s, mid 20s. And you realise, yeah, I'm, I'm not actually that that good. Yeah, there <laughs> are players who are younger than my age who are miles better than me. Um, and I think, yeah, I got home and complained again about referee on the the day and always complaining. about. And Sarah's like, well, just do it yourself. You know, why don't you give it a go yourself? Um, And like any referee, yeah, you you take the introductory course or the club-based courses that they had at the time. And um, yeah, you realize that the passion you have for football, you know, you can use it in a different way. And then as you see other examples of of, um, top referees at the time, and, the, you know, the phrase that they've got the best seat in the house, they're, they're, they're uh, involved at a really professional level. Uh, that was the motivation. And I suddenly saw this new world that I could be exposed to um, that I would never get from playing, mm-hmm. um, get from supporting. Sure, you can, but you're not really in it. And then suddenly I thought, well, this, this could be something I could, I could, uh, I could get into. Um, and as I mentioned before, I was really lucky. Uh, to have some amazing people in Auckland uh, like Paul Smith and those uh, incredible assistant referee who went to the Korea World Cup for New Zealand, who represented New Zealand, sorry. He just kind of took me under his wing and and really pushed me uh, and gave me some, some opportunities uh, in those early days. So, yeah, that's kind of how it happened. So how did that come about? So, you know, you took the course
0: and it's, it's uh, we'll touch on your World Cup experience later on, but it's a, it's a long way from... Just, you know, restarting the course in New Zealand to, to the World Cup. How did you get back into it? How was your first game back?
3: Yeah, it's a good, very good question as well. Guys, thinking back, you kind of remember. You know, in those, you remember? Days, <laughs> in those early days, in those early days, this is one sort of, not. I wouldn't say regret, I don't use that word very often, but I used to document every game on an Excel sheet, yeah, and, and put the score and the venue and the time and who the referee was, if it was me or if, it was, uh, if I was assisting. Um, and I think that first season I did like 84 games, um, this is, this is before we had kids. Yeah. So wow. <laughs> it was a lot easier at, at the weekends, um, <laughs> but that was, I think that was the key. And if, uh, I've said that to some young referees before, when you have the opportunities and, and your body's, you know, when you're 18, 19 or even twenties, it's easier <laughs> to do two games a weekend and still be able to operate normally during the week. And I think, I think I remember yeah. I think it did some, some under 17s mm-hmm. under 15 games and then some women's football. Um, and then I think, yeah, like I say, that Paul just saw something, maybe he saw something in me and, and realized, ah, okay, Simon could be okay at this. Yeah. And, and maybe if invest a bit of his time in me and his experience, um, I mean, he was only, I think he was newly retired, maybe even just finishing. Cause it was only four years after, after he had come back from South Korea world cup. So I suddenly had this, you know, FIFA guy who could then talk to me from actual experience and say, this is. Uh, This is what what you could get, yeah? This is what you could do. Not even thinking that far ahead at that time. Um, But, yeah, those early games, um, you kind of do as many as you can, and it's all about experience. It's getting out there and uh, trying to experience as many different styles of football, um, all those decisions that you read about in the laws of the game that you think will never come up. You know, they they come up, um, and and, and you get them (laughs) wrong. Yeah, you absolutely get them wrong to begin with. Um, but then you come off and you go, ah, okay. So next time, yeah, and that's where you, that's what you got to do. Eh? You got to make the mistakes on those games, um, and not not Absolutely. on TV. But for the record, I've done both in on TV and off TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll we'll go we we'll and get footage of the TV mistakes. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> we could make a make a whole hour podcast on that.
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> so when you started in New Zealand, you know, when you got back on the refereeing train. Was there something that was particularly hard that you found was something that maybe you struggled a bit to overcome? And how did you overcome that? You know, was there any particular hardship that you had to go
3: through when you started refereeing again? Something that maybe scared you and put you off a bit? At the beginning, probably not, to be honest. For me personally. And I know it could it was different for many people, but for me, no, because I think the support and the structure that they had in place at Auckland football at the time was such that I felt really supported and my peers were also really supportive at that time. If I can be frank, it's later in refereeing career where the difficulties and challenges can come from a competition level, from a political level. That's where the challenges come. Um, in, in my mm-hmm. feeling. Mm-hmm. my I can only talk about how I experienced it, yeah. So for me, I, I think in those early days, it was some of the best best days, yeah, because there was maybe no pressure. There was no stress. Yeah. It was just completely learning and taking as much as I possibly could. Um, and moving quite quickly, yeah, and by the end of that first year, um, I was doing what we call Premier Reserves, which is the, the reserve league from the top. Um, and that was really unexpected for me to, to get that opportunity. So I think... Yeah, I had no real roadblocks in those, early, in those early times. And I think that really was because of the good network and good structure they had in place within the refereeing organisation at the time.
1: I think that's a real testament to the Auckland Football Federation and yeah. the systems they've got in place. And yeah. that's what we want to see for all referees, I guess, around the world. We want to see that support, that it's okay to make mistakes. It's like in our ref coach community on Facebook, people um, should be able to comment and, and give, a, give it a go without feeling like they're going to to be crucified for those mistakes. So I think that's a real testament to referees and being able to be supportive to one another. You were able to have such a strong footing that obviously set you up to get you to that stage later on, which is fantastic. Yeah. You read my mind, Benji.
3: Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, Yeah. Benji, you're spot on. And I think, and I've referenced it having something like, you know, you guys who are dedicating your own time to offer this um, and have these forums. Yeah, I think in 2005, um, when I'm talking about this time, um, there was no, okay, social media was around, but it certainly wasn't as, as commonly used as it is now. Um, and, we, you know, I think we didn't have Facebook groups to share or, 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 or to learn from in that way. Um, so I think that's been a huge advancement since then. So you really had to have, have the people on the ground back then. And I had that. I was lucky. Um, in that, at the end of that first year, maybe a year and a half, I ended up moving to Wellington for my job. And that was another big point I, I go look back on is, is, is the, the structure there. They really pushed me to get me onto the National League as, as early as possible because they could see that maybe I had a possibility to, to go a bit further. And um, yeah, they pushed me to get, you on the, get me on the National League mm-hmm. as an assistant. That's normally the process in New Zealand, uh, as an assistant. And um, I managed to move to Wellington. Um, Actually, you know, it was two years, sorry, in 2008, I moved to Wellington and managed to get on, onto the league. Um, and without that sort of help and guidance and push at the beginning, things would have been a lot slower and, and, uh, and a lot harder, yeah, for sure.
0: You get onto the National League, so that's kind of, you know, you've you've come through the ranks, you've moved to Wellington, and, and it's quite refreshing, like Benji touched on, that you've had this great support the whole way, because usually that's when we hear where so many refs drop out, you know, across the world, not just in New yeah. Zealand, not just in Australia, not just in England, that's where refs are dropping out. It's
2: really refreshing and quite... Very inspiring, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's great to hear that that's when you felt most supported. Um, but you move to Wellington, um, get onto the National League, I guess that's your first Flavour of semi professional. I think it's semi professional, the top league there.
3: Yeah, I mean, they say it's amateur, but uh, I think every referee in the world knows that there's a semi professional.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, you you get to that first taste of, I guess, you know, a serious level of football. How was that making the step to that?
3: That was phenomenal because suddenly, so yeah, so suddenly you're doing games with uh, Mike Hester and Peter O'Leary and uh, guys who have FIFA badges on their chest. And then suddenly... the, the... Can,
0: can vouch that Pete O'Leary is not only an enjoyable person to referee with, but enjoyable to spend time with. Hey, they're, Off the
3: pitch. Yeah. <laughs> they're both outstanding, outstanding characters. Both of them have a lot of respect, a lot of time. And again, they both offered a lot of guidance and a lot of support. Suddenly, as you say, it opens up this whole world of, of a more professional environment. And yeah, let's be honest, a higher level of football. And you need that. Yeah, you have to keep... keep progressing and, and keep testing yourself still a uh, refereeing uh, as a, as a, as a central referee on the, uh, what we call the central league or the Wellington leagues, but, uh, having that higher level of, of, competition on the national league with, with, these, with these names. Yeah. Um, that, that, that I'd read about and seen and, and, and you hear about, um, and if they're in the FIFA world cup program, so that would, would have been the 2010 cycle. Um, it was wow. These guys have got a chance, you know, to go to um, where was that? Uh, Twenty ten South Africa. Yeah, South Africa, South
2: Africa,
0: Benji. South
3: Africa yeah. yeah, so you know that was that was a real real inspiration uh, to, to to have that opportunity. Yeah, and we got we got to Wellington, and that's when um, yeah a year later we had our our first child, and that's where things get interesting as well. So you know, from a you know like, as you said before, referees from the humanity side, you know, we've got. Got these uh, lives as well. And you guys know in Australia and in New Zealand, it's not a, a profession. Uh, there are a real lucky select few who can make a living, pay the mortgage and uh, the bills from, from refereeing. So, so um, then, then, you know, when you have a, a family in the mix, uh, the balance really becomes a big, big part to manage. Um, and it was sort of from that National League and every weekend that you start thinking out, ah, okay now I've got a baby at home and I'm still disappearing for work in the week. And then we're disappearing on a Saturday or a Sunday for four or five hours. Um, that's where, um, that's where it gets, uh, yeah. that's where it gets tricky. That's where it gets tricky for sure.
2: And what do you think for you? Cause I know you mentioned that sliding doors moment with your wife was probably also very pivotal in your career. Cause you mentioned when we chatted last week, that your wife was extremely supportive. Um, and then realisation that Haha came after a couple of whiskeys, if I'm correct, uh, a couple of weeks back. Yeah. But so how do you think you managed to balance family and refereeing and what is sort of some advice you would give to referees that are coming through the ranks and about to go through the same experience and the same journey you had? Yeah, because
0: and- this, this makes me nervous, you know. Refereeing <laughs> takes up enough of my time now what happens in, you know, whenever, and there's kids on the scene as well. If it's how do you kids, balance it? if
1: it's life, yeah, it's life as a whole. When, yeah. when you're moving forward to that more, I guess this ties into the stage of your career that it started yeah. to move into more same professional, professional games. How did, how did you balance it all? Yeah. Well, we've seen, we even know with COVID how yeah. hard it was yeah. Yeah, to just
2: balance everything, which yeah. probably was the other way when now we got stuck with our families <laughs> and sometimes it can be a little bit too much. <laughs> so now we're talking about, Exact opposite of yeah. the spectrum, but you know, when you look at it as a circle, the two opposites are really close to each other.
3: Yeah. 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 I'll start answering that by giving a bit of background. Um, in, in the sense that uh the balance does become harder and, and the commitment becomes more as as you as you progress. Yeah. So uh in those early days and after we had the uh, our first child, um and you're still away, and then You've been given feedback and the opportunities are coming up more and more. And you think, okay, how could this come? How could this end? But you, you don't know. Yeah, you don't know in four or mm. five years this uh, you could be off for for weeks at a time. Yeah, that was that was a that was interesting to start with, having that initial just the odd weekend here and there. And then um as as I sort of carried on uh refereeing in, in Wellington, I was doing very well as a central referee on the on the Central League because um nobody gets into refereeing uh, nobody looks at an assistant <laughs> referee and goes hey i want to run down the line and, and wave that flag around yeah 99.9 percent would go i want to be a referee yeah and then uh, they end up as an assistant they not quite good enough as a referee yeah no disrespect to all us assistants out there so i got to a point and i was really close to the national league and that's where it was a good conversation at home to say well know we've got two choices here I could really concentrate on on my refereeing career um, but there are more let's say roadblocks and challenges in the way there because I've had some really honest conversations with with people in New Zealand football who would say you know there are younger guys ahead of you who are let's say maybe have more experience and more ability than you at the moment yeah and that's really good to hear is that honest feedback that that, uh, you're not just pushing a thing that's not going to happen you know you want yeah, someone to yeah. tell you factually to your face, okay? This is your this is your best option. It happened for me on a game in Wellington between Olympic and Miramar, and for those of you who know the Wellington football scene, that's a, a big big rivalry. Uh, and back then, it was um, it was a huge derby match, and were always really intense. And if you got that appointment, then then you knew you were doing something right. And I was the referee on this occasion, and it was one of the most intense games I've, I've ever had. I think it was two one, and then with a 92nd minute penalty, um, you know, to make it two, two high intensity, but my management on the day was maybe not so strong. And there's a guy in, in New Zealand called John Cameron who pulled me aside, he assessed me that day. And he said to me, here's your challenges. Yeah. And he, he was really open and honest with me. He said, if you want to get a FIFA badge and go to a world cup, your best chance is as, as, as an assistant. And I would say this would be my second sliding door moment because then that meant I had to make a really tough decision to carry on what I loved doing and what I'd got the thrill and the passion that we all know as refereeing, or do I want to have more of a chance to go to a World Cup and experience what that rush could be like and what that could uh, feel like. And after much deliberation and talking with, with family and friends and other peers, I thought, well, my best opportunity is, is a, as an assistant. And coming back to your question, the support from home was – invaluable at that point, because you do have to be realistic and think, well, if we go down this route, and um, I push for a FIFA opportunity, it will take me away from the family. And it will mean, you know, talking frankly, to my my wife, to Sarah, that you will be on your own a lot more. Um, And you have to have open and trustful open communication the whole time. I think that's the most best advice I can give when talking to your partner and your family is just open and honest communication to say, Hey, look, this could happen. I, I need you to stand b- behind me and, uh, and support me and give me the best chance to do this. And I was, am supremely lucky that I've, uh, I've had that, have that opportunity and had the opportunity with her to, to say, um, to hold the fort, you know, and, and take the kids to school and, 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 uh, teach them and do everything else. They probably turned out better with me not being there to be honest. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think, I think without that, it would, would have been absolutely impossible, this whole thing, you know, to have that, have that strong support at home. In fact, one story, as I got, I think, did I have my FIFA badge? I can't remember, but I was invited to an A-League trial in, uh, I'll say Brisbane. It might have been somewhere else. I can't remember, but Mark, um, Mark Shield was yeah. the guy. He picked us up and he, and he did the assessment and my wife was pregnant. Uh, 30-something weeks. Deep in. Um, Yeah, deep in. So it was like, well, do I go or not? But again, another huge level of support from from family there to say, even though it could happen, it wasn't any day, but it was within the next two weeks, three weeks, yeah, you go to Brisbane and and have this opportunity to do this trial. And in fact, I finished the game, uh, came off and had a message from my wife saying, oh, I've had some... Some pains, yeah, and some I'm not sure what's happening. And Mark Shield was outstanding. He was like, quick, let's get to the airport. We've got to get <laughs> you home as quickly as possible. Uh, thankfully, it was a false alarm. And, and uh, my second son came, I think, three or four weeks later. So everything was all right. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, again, just another sort of story to think, well, gosh, without that support and trust and, uh, and uh, yeah, opportunity given to me by, by my family, it wouldn't have been possible.
2: Yeah. I love that.
0: Yeah, love it's that. fantastic, isn't it? Like, and obviously the people listening can't see, you know, the smile and the warmth in, yeah. in Simon's face <laughs> as he's telling that story. But it's really, yeah. you know, you can really feel that that's coming right from the heart. And you're genuinely, you know, so grateful for, for your wife and your family's support. I think that, that's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, Sarah, yeah, when sure. you listen to this, but Simon is truly, truly grateful and appreciative
3: and loves you very much. You, Yeah, well, you referenced it just before I talked to you last week. I had some, a friend visiting uh, me recently um, within COVID rules, for those of you listening. Okay. And we were, yeah, we were up till quite late having, having some soft drinks, let's say. And um, <laughs> uh, we were just talking and he said, I don't think you realize just how... how much she stood by you through these years, you know, and, and again, goosebumps, but, you know, I think it was that moment. I know that, yeah, I absolutely knew that, but I think hearing it from someone else who's looked from the outside, a really close friend to say, you know, do you realize, you know, what, what she's done over these years and the times you've been away. And um, I thought, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, mate. And without that, again, I say, I sound like a broken record, but it wouldn't have, wouldn't have been possible.
0: It was fantastic to have so many community members contribute to our questions for the Q and A with Simon. You can find the Q and A on our Facebook group, YouTube channel, or on our Instagram feed. So, World Cup twenty eighteen. How did the when did the path to that start? When did that come onto your radar? So, I went
3: to um, the twenty twelve Oceania um, Nation. Cup in Solomon Islands and that that was an experience in itself you know for any of us uh, in the Asia Pacific region like we are you know that you get sent to some pretty pretty cool places strange places yeah um to fly into Solomon Islands my first experience of of that was was quite quite incredible and I went actually as a as a let's say an introduction just just to participate in the pre-tournament um uh, seminar and by this point I was a FIFA assistant so I was lucky in 2011 to be nominated. Uh, for the 2012 list of assistant referees. Um, and then for whatever reason, another assistant couldn't participate. So they asked me to stay. And that I think was a huge opportunity. And I ended up doing two games. Um, and I still say to this day that the, a uh, Samoa against Vanuatu at midday in 42 degrees centigrade, oh, I still Jesus. think is my toughest uh, experience in, in football. Um, we had drinks, breaks and ice packs around our necks and everything. So that was hard, but that having that opportunity and taking that opportunity, um, again, not just the support from family, but my employer at that time was expecting me to be away for a week. And then suddenly it turned up to be two and a half weeks and amazing support from my employer. Um, that was just the beginning of the support they offered me. Um, they allowed me to stay and do that tournament. Um, and at that point I thought, Hey, hang on, something could happen here. Even talking to the guys Hmm. there about the the 14, it was probably too late to get into the 14 cycle at that point because the teams were almost kind of set. Um, But at that point, you think, well, it's the 18 cycle for me. I've got to get in. I've got to get into that uh, opportunity. Um, And then, so 13 and 14 opportunities uh, with local tournaments and and things went from there. And then you work with local referees often, uh, more often than others. And that's where Matthew and I, so my referee that I eventually went to the World Cup with, we got together and um, he, we, had a, we hit off straight away. We had a good bond and um, he, he, let's say, chose me as his, his assistant referee and we uh, improved from where we were in 14-15 in to, to, to where we got to. Yeah, that's kind of how it started, is getting chosen by him to be part, part of the team. Um, and uh, yeah, that's where the road to Russia began. The road to Russia. <laughs> the road to Russia. I think. I think actually, we were in. I think we were in 15, and we were kind of in a bit of a limbo situation, not knowing what was going on yet, yeah? Because as I touched on before, uh, this is where the let's say the other challenges come from a political perspective, mm-hmm. and, and not knowing what's going on, and not not understanding, and certainly in some ways not having as much influence as as you possibly could. Um, to, to make these decisions. But there was a guy called Mark Hester, who was the Oceania Referee and Development Officer at the time. And he he supported us really strongly. Uh, the trio, myself, Matthew as referee, and, and Tavita Makassini from, from Tonga, was the other assistant. And uh, he put us nominated us for the 2015 Under-20 World Cup in New Zealand, which was, honestly, for any referee, the perfect introduction, doing your whole... Boom nations tournament because you didn't have to go away <laughs> i could stay in a hotel in auckland and then go and drive and see the family in, in the evenings just escape from the hotel and go and see the family so it was really lucky and a soft introduction uh to the international world yeah we did we did quite well at the 15 world cup we had two games in the group matthew was i think yeah he was fourth on the final and fourth in a quarter final by that point they had fifth officials but yeah still no var um and then yeah that that gave us the Club World Cup in Japan in 15. So we flew off to Japan at Christmas, right before Christmas, got back three or four days before uh, Christmas Day, and we did the third, fourth place playoff there. That was Who was involved in that third, fourth
0: in the World Club Cup? Would
3: be big games? It was Japanese team against Chinese team. It was Guangzhou Evergrande from China. When Lippi was coaching still. Yeah, maybe, maybe. And there was... um, Jubilo, something, Iwata, I think, uh, the, I can't remember, the Red Diamonds. That yeah, the Red Diamonds. Champions
2: uh, League.
3: Yeah, 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 you guys know from that, yeah. Yeah, that was incredible to, to have that a third, fourth place playoff at, at, at the Club World Cup. Um, so that kind of then suddenly we thought, oh, hang on, we're, then we knew we were in the World Cup programme, I think we knew we, were, we, had, a, we had an opportunity then um, to, to be involved. Um, 16 was quite a quiet year. Oh, no, because there were a few smaller tournaments. But then in 16, we went to uh, Brazil, to Rio, mm-hmm. to the Olympics. Oh, amazing. Um, quiet
1: tournament, yeah. quiet year. <laughs> quiet year, Roger. Yeah. <laughs> <The Olympics are laughs>
2: quiet year, I had nothing else to do.
0: That's when you know it's been a great career, right? When you go, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, quiet year, oh, but I became an Olympian. You know, it was quite a quiet year.
3: Sorry, I didn't mean it to come out like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, no, it was. Gosh, yeah, no, it was, yeah, that was an incredible three weeks. Um, but before then, we'd had, I think, a couple of qualifiers in, 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 um, in the World Cup qualifiers in the islands, yeah, Solomon's and Vanuatu two places like that. But yeah, the, the Olympics was the, was the goal. Yeah, you ask any referee on a, on a um, World Cup cycle rotation, and they'd want to get at least a couple of under 20s or age grade uh, tournaments, the Olympics. Um, and at least the Club World Cup, and maybe the Confeds, yeah, mm. the year out from the World Cup. That's kind of you get selected for those, then you know you're in, you know you're in the mix. Um, so we went to the Olympics. Um, we had a game in Manaus in the in the jungle. That was incredible. <laughs> um, hot, hot, but a good experience. Went well. We got back, and then we immediately flew to Belo Horizonte, and. That was tough because we flew back from Manaus into Rio and we got back to the hotel, I think 10 at night, nine at night, had to get a new kit because it, we, it was all dirty basically. Then literally back to the airport to fly to Belo Horizonte. And the reason I'm telling you that is because I think that preparation um, was not ideal. And it meant that the performance on that second game was not where we wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And I can talk openly yeah, in and, in, in this group, in terms of people listening will be interested in referees. And sometimes you don't have good games. And in this time, I mean, people will listen to us and say, well, often, <laughs> often referees have bad games. <laughs> but in this case, you know, and you guys will know, preparation is, is really important yeah. and preparing about the teams, the, the feeling and the fitness, the diet, everything, hydration. But on this occasion, I felt we didn't quite get that right. And um, as a whole team, afterwards, we t- looked, looked ourselves in the mirror pretty hard and said, okay, what, what changes do we need to make to get these next two years to get to, get to Russia? Otherwise, we're going to be kicked out and the other guys are going to get in front of us. Um, and it came from, a, yeah, there was a communication issue. I mean, I've always said you, you win as a team and you lose as a team. And on this occasion, it maybe wasn't me and it wasn't the other assistant. It was something that Matthew didn't quite see right. Um, but could we have done more to change it before the game restarted? You know, these kind of decisions. Yeah. Um and, and I think that, yeah, that was tough. It was really tough to, to, to take. Um, and we ended up flying back to, to Rio knowing, yeah, you know, knowing that, that we, we'd made a, a game-changing mistake. Um, and uh, that in all likelihood, we would be going home early. And uh, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. And it's a tough place to be. You know, it's a tough environment to, to, to come back into with all these other referees. And they're all very supportive. Yeah. But they all know deep down that, yeah, that guys, you know, they've made, they've made an error yeah. and it's tough on them. Thank, thank goodness. Thank goodness it wasn't me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there is an element uh, of that. And yeah, I'll never forget being called into the office with Mr. Massimo Busacca and uh, Manuel Navarro and all the other, uh, Jorge Larionda. Mm. and said okay you know well done in the first game but what happened in the second game and unfortunately you'll be going home in two days yeah and missing the final yeah so missing going to the malakana and seeing oh. the olympic final so you know as a, as new zealand officials and oceania officials you, you go to these tournaments wanting to do your best and you know always aiming yeah why not why can't we get the final why can't we get a semi-final if you, you know really honest, you, you kind of think, well, politically <laughs> it's going to be tough for that. So you, you want to stay at least till the end to say, you know, you did everything you could. On, on, and on this occasion in Brazil, we left having underachieved and felt really disappointed. And that was the first time I, I, I felt that and experienced that. And it was really tough.
1: Yeah,
3: It was really tough to um, go to an Olympic Games and not perform how we should, and what made it worse was that the female team that also went uh, had a tough game, and we all went home kind of uh, together. And so it wasn't the best representation experience. Being being in Brazil, I mean, yeah, it's hard not to enjoy, but from uh, from the reason we were there and the refereeing point of view, it was really tough. And it took some time to sort of recover from that and and uh, take a long hard look at ourselves and put some new processes in place to. Take it to the next level and and, and grow our team um, as I think we did in the next next years.
0: So from a from a dark moment there, obviously you know careers of highs and lows, and that was one of the lows. But I take you back to what you said just a couple of minutes ago about when that error happened. Um, I really liked the way you just described that. Right, there was no blame. There was no it's his fault. It's our fault. It was someone missed something, and it was what could we have done to help him? You know, could we have done more? And I think that just, you know, for me, that really, I don't know about you boys, but that just sums up what a team culture should be in refereeing. You know, refereeing can be a really individualistic activity, but the way you just described that, that is awesome. You know, yeah. It, mm-hmm. if we could have, not saying that it doesn't exist in refereeing enough because it does, it does, but, you know, just to hear you talk about it in that way in such a low and low moment, um, when you come off such a high, I think that's an awesome attitude and, and perspective. Um,
2: Yeah, I feel that to have that team spirit as well, you must have, you know, I think that's where everyone in the team can be a leader and support each other and lead the team. You know, we always look at the referee as the leader, but sometimes it's going to be the referee making a mistake. And then an assistant needs to be the leader of the team. You know, it's just the way you you put together towards the team and that's where that trust and bond really comes together to get you out of that of that hole where you know
0: and it it can happen at any point in your career i remember very early on when i was on the NPL in Victoria and I was in a game and it was probably my first season so I was only 19 so that's our second division here so I mean, I'd absolutely had one in the first half absolutely made to the point mm. where I was losing control mm. and I didn't know what to do but really luckily I had re- two really experienced assistants who were far older than I were far more experienced than I was and I got out half time and I kind of went what do I do? And they sat me mm. down and like, it's all good. You know, here's what we're going to do. You're going to mm. approach the second half differently. You're going to do this, you're going to do this, and you're going to do this. Mm. And it, it would never go down as one of my best games, but the second half was far better than the first. And that was because mm. of the way my teammates,
3: the teamwork, yeah, they, they yeah.
0: supported me. And, uh, you know, yes. I've done probably over a hundred games in the NPR now, but that game will always stand out for me for those exact reasons, mm. which is, which is quite similar to, to the teamwork and ethic that that you're describing that happened. Yeah, before. exactly. And I,
3: and I think in the same way that you said the important thing is afterwards. This is, I think it was in the second half. Yeah, so we came in at the end and talked talked openly about it, and that was that was the best way. And 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 said you know what what could we have done and, and supported each other in that sense. Um And yeah, you're right. Ali, you said it's not always the referee that has to be the leader. Um, and I think it's important that assistants have strong personalities as well. They don't show it so much on the field. Yeah, absolutely not. And uh, they're probably not meant to. Uh, and the, in the FIFA world, the coaching is always that, the, you know, we want personality from the referees. They don't want robots walking around. Yeah, yeah. Assistants, <laughs> I get the feeling a little bit different. You don't want flamboyant <laughs> assistants. Um, you know, uh, we can converse with the players for sure, but uh, there needs to be you know, it's more supporting it. That's why we called it uh, assistance. And I think off the field, that's where we were really strong. And, and we had Tavita who had been to to the 2010 World Cup and luckily missed out on the 14 World Cup and then obviously stayed with us at 18. And now he's even in the, in the program for 22. So this oh, wow. guy is just <laughs> unbelievable. So we had his experience and he knew all the small things, you know, from a FIFA tournament behaviors and things that we should do. I was, I, I don't know, I don't know what my strength was really I Have to ask Matthew, but <laughs> yeah. um uh, after this, you know, we we don't we didn't have the luck. I think one point I want to make is we were up against not up against. I guess I, we were up against guys who have done a hundred Champions League matches, worked together every week, and we're in the same pool as them, which is a great honour. But we would maybe get if we we're lucky six games a year together mm. because David was in Tonga, I was in Auckland, Matthew was in Palmerston North. So to get that opportunity to work together, we had to come up with another way of how we could better communicate and better support each other during those key match incidents and decisions. And we did that. We, we sat down and put uh, basically a presentation together between us that we looked through every, before every game to remind us of the key words, the key focuses, how we could support each other, you know, open and honest communication. You know, if, if we think someone's talking too much, we can tell them, stop talking to me for five minutes. I need silence, you know? So little things like that, that we said um, and key words that, then, after that Brazil experience we, we, we took on, and I'm not saying after that everything was perfect because it wasn't yeah. and and, and there, there are still challenges uh, right up to the very end, yeah, let's be honest so um there there are still difficulties that that, that you work through um, but I think without that opportunity, without that game, and let's call it a third sliding door moment <laughs> in, 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 in that sense, I think it would have been a lot tougher to to get what we got in the end
0: after a darker time in in brazil you know not going the way you wanted it, it did come up with the reward you were working towards in 2018 in russia you made it to the world cup the, the pinnacle what you've been working towards you know the support of your family and, and your wife had all been worth it how did that feel when you got the phone call or the email
3: yeah that's a good it's a good story actually i by this point professionally um things were, were progressing quite nicely as well um so I had some opportunities in that in that part of my life, and one of them was was a, a opportunity of where I am now, sitting in head office in, in Germany for our company. So, I yeah, it's difficult because the timing was was quite tight with with the with the uh, World Cup in Russia and moving the family. Mm-hmm. So um, pass- we decided, yeah, yeah, life
0: events, yeah, no. <laughs> another
3: quiet it, year. It was, another quiet year. <laughs> Another quiet year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 2018 was was crazy. So we um, actually took the job in at the end of 17, and um, I came over here in in November to start uh, in a small way, and then on the then I flew actually flew from here to the Club World Cup in Abu Dhabi for three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the first experience that my employer here had. Mm-hmm. Oh, he, he disappears a <laughs> lot. Yeah. Um, but as a pre-interview with the, with, with the role here actually said, Hey, you know, they knew, they knew in the, in my company globally that I was a referee, but, um, I said, I need this, this time off. If I get selected, I need this time off, please. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I went back to New Zealand, tidied things up and did everything we had to do. And on the last day, it was before Easter, before we flew to Germany. Um, I went to bed thinking the decision was going to be made, woke up in the morning and, um, Looked at my phone, and there it was. And I was actually with a mate. with With I, I was in Auckland, my family were in Wellington, and uh, we were sharing a sharing a bed or sharing a room. I can't remember. <laughs> it was a it was a big night. I remember rolling over. Very, very
2: tight.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so a mate and saying, mate, I've I've got it. I've got it. And uh, yeah, that was that was quite quite special. Um, yeah. And then Matthew called, and I think I had 15 missed calls from. From, from various people. So it was, uh, yeah, it was incredible. And that's when, yeah, that's when you think, okay, now it's, uh, now it's happening. Now it's happening. And it was, yeah, unbelievable feeling. So we flew to Germany and then almost immediately um, had to fly to Dubai for the pre-course. So it was all very, all very flash. We went to Dubai for a week and it was that, we did fitness tests again in, in stupid heat. We did the fitness tests and did all the tests and then uh, four weeks later, we flew to Italy, to Florence, to the head of, uh, where the Italian Covichana. football yeah. team. Yeah. You know this, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Went into the, going to the changing rooms and seeing Buffon's locker and all that. Oh, it was just, just unbelievable. And it was that one, when we passed that fitness test, that's when you knew. And it, w- it wasn't until, so you got the letter, sure. You got invited, but as it, any invitation to a tournament. You know, there's a caveat, mm. you must pass the fitness test, you know, blah, 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 but everything like this. So when we did that test in, in Cavaciano, that was, then we could go, right, we're in. And then you got on the red wines to celebrate. And we got the red wine, but it was funny. Matthew flew in the day before, and we got arrived later, and then we arrived, settled in, and said, let's go for a, for a jog. So we went onto the running track. And he walked out with us. He would already done something in the morning, like a, a light session in the gym or something. And then he stood off the edge of the, uh, edge of the running track, oh, yeah. his foot, rolled his foot and snapped a bone on top of his foot. Oh! So the next day we passed the fitness test. So we were in, but then suddenly we went to the physio and we're thinking, Oh, don't. yeah." so, cause if he's out, yeah, you're
0: all gone. Yeah.
3: So, yeah. And then I don't know if this ever came out before, but then there was this mad, that was April. So the World Cup was end of May. This, this is a ref code scoop.
0: So, there you go. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. So he had uh, six weeks and unbelievable credit to him. He worked his arse off, excuse me, to get, to get fit again. Um, it, it wasn't, you know, muscle injury, it was a, it was a mm. chip on the bone in his foot. And he did water training in, in back in New Zealand. And FIFA supported so much to get him, to get him fit again. And when he arrived in, in Russia, they did a final check and uh, everything was okay. But it was such a quick turnaround. But there was this, wow. I want to say gray window, but it's more like a black window <laughs> of like, oh my God, after all this time. You know, just one moment like that and everything can be taken it away. That would have been, I mean, been you know, a negative
1: sliding doors moment. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it would have been. I mean, it was unbelievable. After Brazil,
2: you know, you have this tough game and then, you know, you get back on your feet. You're almost there and you, you made it through bad games. You made it through bad bones. You, you made it through yep. the heat in Abu Dhabi. And finally, finally, you made it to Russia. And yeah. how was just. that? I just, <laughs> um, I can't even imagine how it would have been hanging. Like, oh, yeah. all right, we've gone we've gone through all this crap. We've literally gone up and down and up and down. And we're finally back here.
3: Yeah. And now the bound. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, but but thankfully he, yeah, like I say, and when he, if he listens to this, uh, massive credit to you, Matthew, because he, he did work so, so hard to get ready because he knew, yeah, he knew he was, responsible yeah in some way there's a sense of responsibility for all three of us but let's be honest on him as well I mean if one of us drops out there's a high chance they could take um, one of the reserve assistants mm. but uh, they would not have put two assistants with another referee at that late stage yeah. um, you know uh, especially not for most but that's another political point <laughs> um, so yeah we got there and yeah, it was as you can imagine, perfectly well organized in in Moscow. Amazing experience, beautiful, beautiful city, um, and yeah, it was like any other tournament really. But everyone knew that this was this was the World Cup, and all all the names were there. Yeah, and you get to know all these all these European referees, and they become they become friends, and they become comrades and you're not competing with them so much. Yeah, because they're, I guess the Champions League final referees, <laughs> but they're, they're, they're great people and, uh, you've got the camaraderie and, and the group and because you've been to, to all these tournaments throughout and you've, your paths have crossed throughout the, the World Cup cycle. Um, it's a really special place to be And It's like, everyone's there going, Hey, we've, we've got it. We are here. Um, and then of course we had the added, uh, numbers of VAR there, which we'd never had before mm, at a world yeah. cup. Um, So there were another, I want to say 20 or so specific VAR officials that came as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was, yeah, that was a phenomenal experience. So, but like any FIFA tournament, the first, I think two weeks we were there before the first game. Yeah. I think we arrived end of, um, end of May and the first game was 11th of June or something. So it was, yeah, drills, tests, fitness tests. Um, everything like that. So as you would normally have cameras recording your every move on the pitch, heart rate monitors every single day, um, you know, diet suggestions, uh, weight, <laughs> weight, um, uh, weight logging, all the normal stuff you have, have at a tournament just longer. Normally it's a week, but this was two weeks. So it's pretty, pretty intense. Um, it is a bit groundhog day. Yeah. You're doing the same thing every day up at nine to the training pitch back uh, quick shower, lunch into the classroom to do the theoretical sessions in the afternoon that's kind of how it is, but um, I can firmly say it's hugely beneficial. You know, to, to have these. You know, sometimes referees think, "Oh, why do I have to go over the same stuff over and over again?" There's nothing like repetition to 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 drill in. You know, the 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 laws and get yourself match ready. I think, and that was that's what they what they did.
1: Being in this environment, the two weeks before the World Cup, you're basically you're a full time referee at that point in time. It's everything. Was it a case of enjoyment for you that we've finally got here and I'm enjoying being in the moment and being present with so many great referees and, and refereeing and footballing all day or was it the stress and the pressure of, okay, we're about to go and do this tournament, how far can we go? Are we yeah. nervous? Was it nerves or excitement or a bit of both?
3: bit of both, yeah. Certainly not stress. I didn't, I didn't feel, feel that, but you're right, Benji. You're a full-time guy then. Um, and I had to cut off from work completely. Yeah, there was no real contact apart from the odd text with, with, with colleagues and team members, but there was no work done. So I was really focused on that. And that was important as well because everyone else was like that. But some other tournaments, I'd had to balance a bit and had to still do some work in the evenings or in the day to contribute. Whereas this time, it was, um, it was really a dedicated uh, time in, in, in Russia to say, right, we work up referees now, and we need to focus on that. So, yeah, huge excitement, anticipation, nervousness um, to to be able to have this opportunity. And just you just want the games to start, really. You just want the games to start and, and to to get stuck into it. Um, so, yeah, it was an amazing experience.
0: And then you got your appointment. So, you know, very wary that we've had this fantastic conversation about how you got there. And I've learned a lot from this conversation with you and going to, you know, take a lot away from this. But in a conscious of time, you, you got to your first game or you got to your game, Nigeria, Iceland.
3: Yeah.
0: I want to yeah. take you back to when you were in the tunnel. You know, you're standing yeah. next to, to Matt Conger, uh, the Nigeria team's behind you, the Iceland team's behind you. You can hear the noise of the crowd, I'm sure. You know that FIFA music's about to start. What were you feeling at that moment? Can you remember that moment?
3: Yeah, I can. Unbelievably overwhelmed with emotion. Almost close to tears. I can't put it any other way. It was, yeah, it was the culmination. And I think for me, deep down, because I'd moved to Germany, I knew this was it. I knew that I wouldn't get to another World Cup. And I was okay with that, yeah, because I always knew that there were other things in my life I wanted to achieve professionally. And uh, I knew this was kind of my opportunity to, to do. And who knew if it was in the end, yes, it ended up being our only game, um, which to be really open is, is a disappointment. Yeah, there were there were reasons why, but we never actually were told those reasons. But maybe don't let's not get into that right now. <laughs> yeah. For for me, I, I think it was just that that raw emotion and walking out. And even nas- two national anthems of that I have oh, yeah. no close affiliation to, you're still you're still bursting with with pride and and uh, and yeah. Yeah, that, that was for me. Yeah. And then I think like most, most occasions when, when you're walking out, whether it's in front of a hundred people, 30,000, or in this case, nearly 50,000 people, as soon as the game starts, it is honestly, it does, you kind of click and you, in the game, that's it. And you can, yeah, sure. You hear the background noise, but the game is, is the focus. And, um, that's, that's kind of what it was, but yeah, that is that, that moment, as you asked Jack, I, I won't forget. It's that emotion, pure raw emotion of finally getting out there and doing it.
2: It's wow. such a journey, right?
3: Oh, absolutely. Everything
0: I feel everything we've talked about
2: has, has built up you know. to that yeah. moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I wish I wish everyone could see Simon right now because yeah. the smile and <laughs> listening to the these words yeah. and seeing the expression. It's communicating such a strong and deep emotion. Oh yeah. It's just, you know, it's making me um it's making me feel so emotional about
1: it. Uh, I feel and like I've gone well, with RJ invested with you. with you. I have made it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yes, we made
3: it. <laughs> we we
2: we, are, we made it. It's almost like we are on the team. <laughs> it's, it's the rocky moment. Yeah. We so did it. He yeah. <laughs> the rocky
3: moment. It's nice. The rocky nice. moment. Will I have a
2: tiger plane under this.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. fantastic.
3: Exactly. And I think, I think it's, you know, I, I kind of, and yeah, it's just sort of, again, with, with thinking about timing, um, I miss it terribly. Honestly, you know, you, you, you look at professionals who stop playing. Yeah. And, and they really struggle mentally with, with how that can happen. I miss refereeing a lot. Okay. There are many other things in life. And uh, when I came to Germany, I, I refereed here on the, on the third league for one year. Uh, the third professional league, which is also an amazing experience. But I really did miss, I do miss that, that, that environment and uh, talk to my referee often about those times. And, uh, but they were amazing times and, and good memories uh, to, to have. And uh, I say, if I can, <laughs> I said to people, before, if I can do it, then, then anybody can. I mean, you know, with, with the right application and as I said at the very beginning, that, that unequivocal and, and unwavering support from the right people in the right places with the right intentions, uh, and I, I was lucky to have that, then, then you can really have some amazing opportunities in refereeing. You really can.
0: So I, I think what you just talked about there and everything you've talked about in the podcast, Simon, is, you know, we feel like we've gone on this journey with you, but you've had so many people behind you. I feel like we talked about that raw emotion of when you were standing in, in the tunnel in Russia, but, you know, it's because it wasn't just, just you there i feel like you had all these people who came on the journey with you and and you weren't doing it for yourself you kind of were doing it for them and everything that had gone into that that long journey to get there is just fantastic and and it it was awesome it was so emotional hearing about the people side behind how you got there Um, i love that that was that was fantastic so Mate, we really appreciate you taking the time, coming on on the podcast, and and sharing your story, and and being so candid and open and and honest, and uh, you know, hopefully you enjoyed going back to those memories because very much, cause, very uh, much. Yeah. us three definitely enjoyed sharing them with you and, and reliving with with you.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolute pleasure, guys, and uh, and I say again, yeah, it's a great service you're offering, and uh, I continue to, to listen and keep in touch and and look at the the clips and the videos and. Yeah, because once the referee, always a referee. Yeah. Even though I might not be as active um, in, in refereeing anymore, I still look at who the referee is on the game, <laughs> and look, look, look at the topics and keep up to date as much as I can with the changes. So, um, yeah, no, it's an absolute pleasure. I, I feel honoured to have been asked to, to even talk. So I uh, really, really thank you very much.
0: Oh, thank you. I mean, the honour is yeah. ours. was, it was, was awesome.
3: Thank Absolutely. you so much. We I can't say how much I
2: appreciate this feedback coming from you, especially after the amazing person you you showed us you are. So, thank you very much. Thank you, it's very kind. Amazing. That's Thanks, that's Simon.
3: All the best. All good. Thanks, mate. See you guys.